0: Uh, I, I want to go ahead and say this, if you did not get to hear his message last year at General Conference, then you are absolutely missing out. Such a phenomenal word, such a, uh, it, it's its great. I've actually got it on CD, and uh, just a phenomenal preacher you guys have. You guys are so blessed to have Brother and Sister McGee here. Amen. And I give honor to the bishop. I, uh, uh. Was in a prayer room before service. I was getting up and uh, I I getting up from praying, and I, I heard one of the gentlemen I don't know who it was, but I heard one of the gentlemen praying for his pastor and his bishop. And uh, there's there's no other feeling than to know that a, a church, a saint, prays for his pastor and his bishop. I give honor to your bishop tonight and uh, told the ministry here in the house what an honor and a privilege it is to minister alongside you. Tonight, but I, I I believe tonight that I've got a word from God, and I, I I know that sounds cliche. I know that sounds overused. But today, while in prayer, I was trying to seek the face of God. I, our our camper is parked at another church, and I I walked out of the camper this morning and walked into the church. And as I walked into the church, I laid down in the front of the sanctuary between the pews and the and the altar, and I began to pray and ask God to give me some word for this congregation I I begin to ask God to give me some some word that this that this people might need tonight but hear me I as I prayed and as I sought the face of God the only thing that could, would come to my mind was simply this this is a church that is hungry for the depths of God I believe I have come into a house tonight where the saints are hungry for a greater demonstration of the power of God. And I believe tonight is going to be a night like never before. Come on, can we stand to our feet and magnify the Lord one more time? Lord, you are worthy. Lord, you are worthy. Lord, you are worthy. While you are standing, if you will grab your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter eight, yes. Genesis twenty-eight and sixteen. And while you are turning there, let me go ahead and give a little bit of a backstory. Sure. Jacob is on his journey to find his wife. His his parents have told him that if he is going to take a wife, he must travel for her. He must he must venture out. He cannot take one from, from his homeland. And in the middle of Jacob's journey, the Bible says "At night time begins to come, and there he is forced to make a place to rest out of the stones in the wilderness. And the Bible says that as Jacob begins to fall asleep, that God meets him there in a dream. Genesis 28 and verse 16 is after Jacob begins to wake up, and the verse says, And Jacob awoke out of his sleep. And he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. Verse 17 says, and he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. If I could title this message tonight for the sake of putting a title with it, I want to title it. There is no place like this place. There is no place like this place. Pastor, will you take us to the Lord in prayer? And go ahead and clap your hands unto the Lord one more time. Hallelujah. Lord, you are worthy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Jacob had one goal in his journey. He had one, his eyes set on one thing. I, I, I remember as a young man going to church conferences, going to, to youth events, I it seemed as if a lot of times my eyes were set on one goal and one purpose that I shared with Jacob. Jacob was in search for his wife. His wife would become his life. It would be who he would invest his time in. It would be who he would invest his love in. And not just that. But his wife would become his future. It would be the woman that he would have his children with. It would would be the woman that would produce his his future lineage throughout the years. It, It was the one that he was invested in before he ever met. But the Bible says that on his way, he stumbled on a place that forever changed his life, there was there was something different about that night that Jacob chose to lie down in the midst of a sinful nation. There, there was something different that happened that night whenever Jacob laid his head down that night. In Jacob's own words, he said after he encountered the presence of God surely this is the house of God. Jacob even goes on to say in verse 17, he adds this. This is the gate of heaven. Psalms 104 says this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Let me stop and say this right here. Every time we walk through those back doors, we should be thankful that we have another chance to come before the presence of the one true living God. We should be thankful that we have another opportunity to fill the presence of the Most High. We are not just walking into another building, but we are walking into the gates of the heavenlies. But that leaves us to reason tonight that if the house is a gate, then his presence must be our courts. And hear me tonight when I tell you that the only means of access that we have into his courts is through our praise. There is still something life-changing about an apostolic man or woman who knows how to praise and worship God. There's still something powerful about a man or woman of God that's unashamed to stand up and praise God with everything that they have. The first time The first time that praise is ever mentioned in the Bible. Israel has been bound for 400 years. And God has just released his people from bondage. They have overcame Pharaoh's army. And God has delivered them from the Red Sea. And they're standing on the other side of the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army has been washed away. They have no homes. Understand, I want you to understand this right now they have no homes, they have very little food, they have very little water, they have very little sustenance. I don't believe that they knew exactly where God was going to take them. I I don't believe that they knew when they were going to get there. But the Bible says that Miriam grabs her tambourine and starts singing songs unto the lord and starts playing unto the lord and starts dancing unto the lord sister miriam i've got a question for you tonight how is it that you can worship god in the midst of a wilderness situation sister miriam how is it that you can sing and dance before god when you don't know what your future has in store I believe tonight the reason Miriam could dance in the midst of a wilderness situation was because she may not have been where she was going. She may not have known where God was going to get her to the promise. But Miriam understood, I may not be where I'm going, but I'm sure not where I used to be. It does not matter where you're at. It does not matter how dry your environment is. If God has ever delivered you from bondage and chaos, you've got a reason to dance and worship God. Oh, if you only knew what God did for me. If you only knew what God brought me out of. We have been called emotional. We have been called crazy and uneducated. But if they only knew what God did in my life, they'd be a little emotional as well. I want you to understand tonight that you have not just walked into any ordinary sanctuary. But tonight, you have walked into the gates of the Most High God. This is a place unlike any other. This church is not like any other church. This church is not like the Catholic church. This church is not like the Buddhist temple. But in this church dwells the spirit of the living God. And his name is Jesus. My wife and I, we youth pastored in Oklahoma for a couple years. And while we were there, I made a friend, and he's a different denomination pastor. I, I don't want to get into denominational boundaries. And I, I love the guy. And so one night, we were having our anniversary services at church, and I said, Brother Jeremy, I want you to be my guest of honor. I want you to come be with me in service. And he looked at me, he said, Brother Nelson, i I'd absolutely love to come, but I've got to be honest with you. You guys are nuts. He said, last time I went to a Pentecostal church, I was just in high school, and they were running around. They were rolling on the floor. They were dancing and shouting and speaking in some unknown tongue. He said, I've got a question for you, Brother Nelson. Why is it that you guys get so excited in your worship. I stood back and something hit me out of nowhere. I said, Brother Jeremy, in all due respect, allow me to break down what we believe. I said, in Pentecost, we believe everything to be symbolic. We can show you how the tabernacle plan is symbolic to a prayer life. I said, we can show you how giving in your tithes and offering is symbolic to the sowing and the reaping of the harvest. I said, so it's no wonder with our salvation we find it symbolic to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I said, when, we're, when we repent of our sins, we die as Jesus died upon the cross. But when we're put down in that watery grave, we are buried unto the burial of Jesus Christ. But understand, we do not stay buried, and we do not stay dead. But we rise again with the infilling of God's spirit. I said, Brother Jeremy, understand this. You guys are okay with someone dying. But you never bury them the right way. You've got to apply the name. I said it not just that. Very few of your people even die. But we are not just a church that's dead and buried. But we are a church that's alive because our God is alive. You want to know why worship is lively? Because our God is not dead. That tomb is empty tonight. God is still alive. I want you to know that Buddha was alive, Muhammad was alive, Confucius was alive, but Jesus Christ was alive, died and rose again, and is alive forevermore. Our God still reigns. I'm going to preach about Jesus a little bit if that's all right. Go ahead and be seated for a second. Before we started evangelizing, I was a commercial contractor. My wife's an RN, and I was doing some work in the state of Texas, and I I went to go look at this job in Texas at a Buddhist monastery. And I walked in, and I looked around, and on the stage, there was this 50-foot statue of Buddha, huge statue in the middle of, this, in the, middle of the, the, the temple they had there. And right behind Buddha was some words on the wall in Loatian writing. And I asked the only monk there that spoke a little bit of broken English. His name was Monk Nick. I said, Monk Nick, what does that say up there? He said, well, it's a, a quote that Buddha said while he was alive. You'll catch that. He said, and I, I, was, I asked him, I said, well, what does it say? And he told me, he said, you, you don't understand. In order to understand it, you first have to be enlightened. So, well, Monk Nick, go ahead and enlighten me. Tell me what it says. He said, what it says is a quote that Buddha said. He said, it says simply this, the truth is as an elusive butterfly. Very few there be that find it. So later that night I went back to my room and I began to study out what Buddha said. And sure enough, I found where Buddha said that he was searching for that butterfly. And I found a quote that Muhammad said, where he said, I am still in search of the truth. But then I open up the word of God and Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. And a life. And no man can come unto the Father except through me. I want you to know that our God is not like every other God. Our God still lives. But I am convinced tonight that this is a place where God can meet with you. I believe that you have stepped into into a sanctuary where there is absolutely something about this fire that burns on the altar that can still change your life. It can change your coworker's life. It can change that lost family member's life. There's something about this house. I have come on assignment tonight to urge this church to go deeper than they've ever gone before. To search after the deeper things of God. Never be satisfied. Never be content. But always press for more. Don't be satisfied with just walking through those back doors. But every time you get into the presence of God, you ought to reach for all you can have. I come with the question tonight. Church, if we can be honest, when is the last time you pushed until you had a breakthrough? When is the last time that you prayed until God touched your life? When is the last time that you worshiped without care of who was around or what everyone else was thinking until you had a breakthrough in your dilemma? When was the last time that you got unsatisfied with just walking through the doors and sitting on a pew? I believe tonight that God is looking for someone who says, I'm not satisfied with what we've had time and time again. But I want an unprecedented move of God. I want you to know tonight that if you come seeking a solution. There is no place like this place. If you've come tonight wanting a heavenly experience, there is no place like this place. If you've come seeking a touch in your body, there is no place like this place. The hospital can do for you what this place can do for you. The banker can't do for you what this place can do for you because it's not about the temple and it's not about the music but it's about who dwells in a house and Jesus is in this house. Hallelujah. Musicians come. Acts 2 and 1 says this. Acts 2 and 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind and it filled all the house. Understand before the first person ever spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave utterance, before the first life was ever changed by the life-changing power of the Spirit of God. That it filled the house. They were still unchanged. They were still the same. They had not yet been endued with power from on high. But there was good news on that day. Jesus was in the house. They were only one breakthrough away from getting what God had promised to give them. I want you to understand that there's no place like this place. And what makes this place so great is not the talented musicians and not the great preachers. But what makes this place phenomenal is that Jesus moves in this house. 2 Kings 13 tells a story. Israel is under attack by Syria. And King Josiah comes to the preacher, Elijah. Elijah's on his deathbed. And Joash comes needing one more word, one more breakthrough, one more touch from God. He says, preacher, how do I have my victory? Preacher, how do I overcome my enemies? How do I overcome this dilemma? I need God to move. The preacher says, I want you to grab those arrows. Brother McGee, something just so profound about this passage that the Bible says that the man of God puts his hand on top of the king's hand. Aren't you thankful for a pastor when you're fighting something? He's there with you. The preacher says, I want you to take these arrows and I want you to shoot it out the window. So the king, King Joash, takes the arrow and he shoots it out the window. man of God says this. Is the arrow arrow for deliverance? Next, the preacher says, I want you to take the arrows that you have remaining, and I want you to smite them on the ground. The Bible says that the king takes the arrows, he begins to smite on the ground once, twice, three times. You know, I've, I've heard a lot of theories on why it was that the preacher became wroth, why why God didn't give him his victory. He was obedient what the preacher said. He did everything the preacher asked. And I've heard that the three strikes represented fasting, prayer, giving. I've, I've heard different theories. But allow me to give you mine if that's all right. I believe the reason that the king, King Joash, never received his victory it was because yes, he was obedient to what the man of God said, but I believe that he did just enough to satisfy the man of God. I believe, with everything inside of me, that God wanted to give Joash victory to the likes that Israel had never seen before. But Joash did not want the victory bad enough, he did not want the victory to go beyond just what was comfortable. Hear me right now, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. I believe God is wanting to pour victory out in some of your lives tonight. I believe those things you've been battling, those, 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 those mind games that the devil has placed in your head, those, those, those hell circumstances that you're fighting, God wants to give you victory to the likes that this world has never seen. But you've got to be willing to do more than just what the preacher says. Because it's easy to go through the motions. It's easy to just do what what we've always done. It's easy to do what everyone else is doing. But when we really want the victory, we won't stop until God moves. We won't stop praying until we touch the feet of Jesus. We won't stop interceding until our family's saved. We won't stop worshiping until our lives are altered. I don't want just an ordinary service. I don't want just an ordinary encounter. But I want tonight to be different. Everyone please stand all across this house. Brother Nelson, I know you said that God is in this place. I, I know you said that tonight was going to be different. How is it that you can be so sure that Jesus is in this house? How is it that you can be so sure that my life can be changed? Matthew 18 and 19 says this. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth, As touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father, which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. I wonder tonight, does anyone believe what I'm preaching right now? I wonder if I could get someone to run up here. I I need someone to run up here. Come on. If you believe what I'm preaching, I want you to run up right now. I want you to look at this. I want you to look at this. Where two or three are gathered together agreeing on anything, there he is in the midst. I believe that Jesus is in his place tonight. And whatever you've come need of, you've come to the right house. Because there's no place like this. I'm about to open up these altars. We're, we're going to pray. We're going we're gonna to have a move of God. But I've got one last question before we get there. If Jesus was standing in this place tonight, if Jesus had walked through those back doors, and he walked up front, and you came to Jesus, said, Jesus, I've I've, I've got a situation in my life that I, I can't handle on my own. Do you think for a second that Jesus would shun you, turn you away, and dismiss your problem? But do you think you'd work in the in a in a need that you had request of? I've got good news. You've walked into the presence of the Almighty. And I see people that believe. And I see people that are bound together right now. And Jesus is in this house. Come on, can we lift our hands all across this place? Look, I don't know what you have need of I. This is our first time here, our first time meeting your pastor. But I feel under the unction of the Holy Ghost that God is about to move in someone's life. God is about to break down some barriers. God is about to move in some ways that the world said was impossible. Everyone doubted God's ability. But God said, I'm about to show them who I am. Come on, why don't you pray? I want you to push. Come on, church, let's push. I'm not satisfied until I have a breakthrough. Thank you for listening.